what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of the Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents as well as caring for ourselves. I'm Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents. There are now an estimated 20 million adult children in the U.S. and many more millions worldwide who are caring for aging parents and are concerned about their own life as they age. In this podcast, we're talking about a specific subset of the caregiver population, the younger caregiver, the ones in their 20s and 30s and even early 40s. We're talking about how to help you with your balancing act of home, work, and caregiving. Typically, we think about 40 and 50 and 60-year-olds caring for older adults. But more and more, we are recognizing that lots of people much younger are frontline caregivers for parents or grandparents, or they are trying to learn about strategies and resources to help their parents care for their parents. Our interviewee is Mary Mitchell, the Family Caregiver Support Specialist with the Area Agency on Aging, which is a division of the Western Piedmont Council of Governments in Hickory, North Carolina. Mary has been in this role for the past 12 years and provides information, assistance, support, and resources to help families care for their loved ones so they may stay home as long as possible. Mary collaborates with lots of area organizations to offer educational events, support groups, and respite services for informal caregivers. Mary, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Francis. I'm glad to be here today for our podcast. <laughs> Thanks. We also have AJ Curley with us as my co-interviewer. AJ is the Director of Professional Relations at Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina, the sponsor for all of our podcasts. AJ has been in healthcare her entire career, helping seniors and their caregivers access community resources, develop plans of care, and flourish in their chosen environments. AJ, I'm glad you're with us today also. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Mary, you have been a frequent ACAP presenter and podcast interviewee and always share excellent information and insight. We've never offered a program or podcast specifically to address issues younger caregivers face, though. So thank you for being willing to help us understand their particular situation and to make sure that younger caregivers are aware of resources. So just so everyone understands what we're talking about when we use the term caregiver, Mary, how about starting us off by describing what it means to be a caregiver and the role of the caregiver in caring for a loved one? 
Um, a caregiver, often called an informal caregiver, is an individual, usually a family member, spouse, friend, or neighbor, who assists someone with their activities of daily living or with medical care. Often, some of the tasks that describe being a caregiver include helping someone with their groceries or medications, or taking a family member or friend to their doctor's appointments, and simply doing what needs to be done when someone needs help. If someone isn't quite sure that they're, they are a caregiver for someone, this might be a way to look at that. Um, a caregiver might help with some of these activities, helping with dressing or grooming, managing someone's finances, helping someone with getting in and out of the bed or moving around their home, monitoring their medical condition, transporting to medical appointments. If someone is providing one or more of these services for an individual, they're considered a caregiver. Caregivers play an ex a tremendously valuable role in the health care and well-being of a loved one. So Mary, what does caregiving across the U.S. currently look like? You know, as Francis mentioned a little earlier, there are over 20 million adult children providing care for a loved one across the United States. In addition, according to the Caregiving in the United States survey, this was a national survey conducted for the National Alliance for Caregiving and the AARP Public Policy Institute, 43 million Americans are providing care for a family member or a friend and, or a child in the United States. Of those 43 million, an estimated 10 million millennials care for an aging loved one. About one in four family caregivers is what we're talking about. And the interesting part is that very few of these millennials actually identify themselves as caregivers. These millennials are serving in, as caregiver for a loved one, and about six in 10 of them are doing it so while also trying to earn a living, according to this survey. It's interesting to note that a third of American adults under age 40 have provided care for an older relative or friend, and another one third expect to be taking on this role within the next five years. It's interesting that the survey also reveals that the majority of these caregivers care for one adult, while approximately 15% care for two adults, and 3% of our population are caring for three or more adults, which was surprising that someone uh, at any age can care for someone, uh, much less three, three older adults. So when we think about caregiving currently, we know that caregiving is nothing new. However, we, we need to keep in mind that, that the caregiving role seems to affect each generation a little differently. Many millennials who range in age from their early 20s and into their late 30s, early 40s, are currently being asked to step up and be caregivers. This age range does seem to be a little young to be a caregiver. You know, in the past, we typically have thought of caregivers caring for older adults to be closer to the age of 50 and above. And in the past generations, that caregiver has typically been female in the age range of late 40s, early 50s. However, those demographics, excuse me, those demographics have taken a slight turn and the number of men who are now caregivers is moving closer to equal the number of women, and a number of younger adults are now in this mix. 
So many experts are calling this the, quote, new faces of caregiving. The family dynamics can be completely turned around in a short amount of time. A health scare can cause a a parent to require care and support from an adult child. Turning into a family caregiver at a young age can be a new and unusual experience for many young adults who understandably have their focus in other areas. The responsibilities of serving as a family caregiver puts on additional stress on this age group that they are often unprepared for taking on. The typical lifestyle of young adults is focused on on careers, education, building their financial well-being, and beginning to raise a family. Millennials generally are juggling a number of directions in their lives, and caregiving is challenging to add into this structure. They also understandably feel they're alone on their caregiving journey and feel they are the ones in this situation, the only ones in this situation, excuse me. But as you can see, these statistics show they have plenty of company with the more than 10 million millennials in the U.S. as caregivers. So these increasing numbers have now led to a new study that's been released by AARP which takes a look at how the caregiving story is currently working in the lives of millennials, as well as how things may look going forward. This study is titled Millennials, the Emerging Generation of Family Caregiver, provides some insight for us in the life of the young and and young adult caregiver. Mary, what were the findings of the report that you just mentioned? Most notably among the findings of the study, there were three main areas that seemed to stand out more than others in the study. They learned a lot from the study, but there were three main areas that stood out. These areas showed how much time young adults who are caring spend helping a loved one. Do they share their experience of caregiving role with others and the money being spent on caregiving? So what they found was, on the average, Millennial caregivers spend 21 hours a week, excuse me, on caregiving duties. These areas are showing how much time young adults who are caregiving spend helping a loved one. Do they share their experience of caregiving role with others and money being spent on caregiving? What they found was, on the average, millennial caregivers spend 21 hours a week on caregiving duties, and nearly three quarters of them, around 73%, are caregiving while also working a full-time job. Second, compared with older caregivers, millennials tend to keep uh, things to themselves. Only 19% of those surveyed discuss their caregiving duties with coworkers versus 47% of older adult of older caregivers discuss their care- caregiving duties. One aspect of this that could be concerning is that fewer than half of millennial caregivers mention their caregiving role to a supervisor at work. This could easily be a reflection of the fact that 54% say their care, their career prospects have been negatively affected by taking on their caregiving commitments. And then finally, this may be the most pressing. In the cost that often goes along with caregiving, of these millennial caregivers surveyed, the average respondent reported spending an average of $6,800 per year on caregiving expenses. Now, this can range anywhere from food, supplies for their loved one, home modifications. 
Also, we need to keep in mind this can often be compounded by the income and expenses of many young adults who are just starting out in their career. So, Mary, it sounds like what you've just described about the younger adult, the younger caregiver, really parallels older caregivers also in terms of um, in terms of the intensity and the dollars spent and all of those kinds of things, except that the younger caregiver is going to potentially have children at home that they're going to be dealing with uh, and, and often young children at home in addition to the caregiving. So, so what kinds of situations may bring a younger, a younger adult into the caregiving role? The role of caregiving for the millennial can happen very quickly with, with little preparation or it can happen gradually over time where caregiving responsibilities increase over a longer period of time. We're seeing an increase in the number of young adults who are now caregivers for a number of reasons. Recent studies worldwide confirm the extension of life expectancy, as we all know, and the increase in older adults with multiple chronic diseases are contributing to this increase. And it's interesting to note that some of the reasons we are seeing this change is that baby boomers had fewer children at later ages in life. Many individuals in this generation are also divorced. Single older parents often become dependent on their millennial adult children instead of, and typically what we have often thought about depending on, uh, depending on spouse or partner when they were in need of care. So many younger caregivers are part of that sandwich generation or are just beginning to move into the sandwich generation and their lives are often focused on their careers, their young children, or even further their education or career training and their loved one who needs care. As part of that sandwich generation, they're often simultaneously caring for young children, starting their families and caring for an older adult. A young millennial can suddenly become a caregiver due to an emergency, due to their loved one suffering from a heart attack, broken leg or stroke, for example, or need may come on more gradually. And maybe when the millennial comes home to visit their family, they begin to notice their parent or grandparent needing more help than they had in the past. There are often challenges that these young caregivers face. Caregivers are often suddenly in the situation in which they need to work with medical staff, learn about medications their family member needs to take and making sure they take them at the right times, helping with bathing and dressing, working with insurance companies to name just a few of the responsibilities young caregivers may have to take on. And caregivers are learning all this as they go along. Most of us have little or no experience with the medical world or our loved one's illness or appropriate ways to care for someone. And it can be challenging to know where to turn for help. So, Mary, you touched a little bit on this uh, in what you just said, but what are some um, additional unique demands young caregivers face when trying to balance their careers with the home life and with caregiving? Many young caregivers are just starting their own adult lives, juggling work, school, social lives, when they're faced with this task of having to take care of someone else. They typically work full or part-time jobs. They're balancing school, careers, and families and report their own health problems, lower productivity at work, and depression. They often spend less time socializing and spending time with their friends. 
the strain of tending to one's family while simultaneously providing care to an elder elderly relative can push the family caregiver to feel like they are unable to achieve success in any area of their life. When roles begin to change, the millennial caregiver often feels lacking in their ability to do it all as a family caregiver, as an employee, or as a parent to their young children. Young caregivers often have to put their own personal and professional agendas on hold while they balance all the other responsibilities, including caregiving. And young caregivers have often taken a leave from further education or given up trying for advancement in, advancement in their careers due to caregiving. These are difficult decisions that they often have to make. And especially in our digital world, it's often an expectation for young employees who are trying to build their careers that they should be available and focused on building their career. The pressure to say yes to every professional, to every professional ask while also prioritizing their responsibilities as a caregiver can feel overwhelming and impact their mental health. For those who are just starting out in their careers or work in a role that has limited flexibility, young adults may feel more stress or anxiety if they need to ask for time off to care for their loved one. They may feel hesitant to speak up and ask for help. Younger caregivers also may not have the financial flexibility to take off or reduce their hours, which can be increasingly stressful and potentially lead to caregiver burnout. Young adult caregivers face many of the same challenges as their older counterparts, but they also have additional challenges due to their age. One of the biggest challenges is ensuring that the person they're caring for gets proper and adequate care. And as I mentioned before, they are learning a lot of this along the way. They haven't had that caregiver 101 class that we all often want when we're going into that caregiving role. Anyone who takes over the care of an elderly adult will need legal access to their health records, insurance information, and even financial information, like I mentioned before. They also need the legal ability to make decisions about the person's care. Caregivers in their 40s and older might have those financial resources already in place or have already thought about those kinds of things. Uh, young caregivers, I think a lot of times, don't think about those things or haven't needed to. When the child becomes responsible for the parent or grandparent, this can put a strain on their relationship with their, with the adult child and the parent or grandparent or relative that they're caring for. And caregivers may need to reach out for help to smooth out this transition. And a lot of times I don't think that young caregivers think about that because many times older caregivers don't think about that as well. But reaching out, as I'll probably mention several times today, is, is really important. You know, their, their focus has been shifted from their careers, their socializing, their school, uh, to taking care of their loved one's needs ahead of their own. And it's challenging to find the time to take care of themselves. They often feel overwhelmed. And like I said before, it leads to burnout. You know, caregivers of any age most often let their own self-care fall to the wayside first when caring for someone and think they'll, they'll look after themselves later or at another time, or I have time for that later on. And it's really important for a caregiver to think about themselves and make sure they find some time for rest, for recharging, no matter what their age is. And it can often be challenging to work time in for themselves when your plate is already full with work, children, school, 
and caregiving. And the list goes on and on, as you all know. But one of the ways to be a loving caregiver is to make sure your own health is part of one of your priorities. And uh, I remind caregivers of, the, caregivers of this quite often. Um, if you remember from the study of the young caregivers, employed caregivers rarely speak up and discuss their situation with their employer. You know, and it's imperative that they reach out and communicate with their employer when they're in on this caregiving journey because communication is so important for the caregiver as well as the employer. And I, many times I don't think caregivers think about that. You know, when the their employer is aware of the situation, it can open the door for them to work together to make the situation more successful for everyone involved. Um, there are workplace options that are available, such as a shift in work schedule, uh, possibly counseling services, paid leave, or other solutions developed by the employer to support their work-life balance. And each employer has different options, but it's it's something that should be pursued by the employee to find out. You know, an option working caregivers may need to consider is the Family and Medical Leave Act. The Family and Medical Leave Act entitles certain workers to take unpaid leave for up to 12 weeks per year without losing that job security that many young caregivers uh, are concerned about or the health benefits um, so that they can care for their loved one. And Mary, they may hear of that as the FMLA, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you hear of it, the, the Family and Medical Leave Act or FMLA, you, you understand they're interchangeable there. So it's important to discuss this with your employer to decide what options may be available to you that you may not realize were there. You know, Mary, thank you. You have done a great job of sort of putting a framework together of who who are the younger uh, caregivers? Um, you know, who are they? What are they dealing with? That sort of thing. It strikes me, you know, everything you say, it just keeps striking me that, that there are so many parallels with, um, or, the, or that basically the scenario of caregiving can be so similar regardless of age, but that there are some very specific, very particular um, concerns and challenges for the younger caregiver. I think that's the thing that as you are talking about studies and your experience and, and all that, that's what just keeps coming coming to my mind. Um, and I love, I loved a minute ago when you were talking about Caregiver 101. Holy mackerel! You know, all of us were looking for that course when we got thrown into uh, surprise. Here we are uh, with with the caregiving situation that we found ourselves in. But I think one of the things that in my conversations. What I have learned is that a lot of times an older caregiver, and when I say older, I'm talking about not old, I'm talking about late 40s or early 50s or 50s and 60s, that a lot of times just in the course of living, we might have become aware of some options and some resources that just by virtue of the younger caregiver being younger, that they wouldn't know. So let's talk just a little while about some of those kinds of things and make sure that younger caregivers 
also know some of the resources and, and, and some of the where to go for help kind of stuff, because I think that's going to be so important, regardless of whether they are caring for their parent or a grandparent or even trying to get information like I was once upon a time trying to get information to help my mother care for her mother. So let me let me talk about some very specific scenarios. Um, talk about, sometimes we, we know about rehab uh, or rehab facilities, but what's the difference in rehab and home care and home health care? A lot of times those are really confusing. What's the difference in home care and home health care? The good news is that care options available for older adults are more varied than they've ever been. Um, But deciding which option is best for yourself or a loved one can be a challenge. And so educating yourself about the options and knowing which one is best is a very decisive step, a very important step to use. A good place to begin is deciding what level of care is right for your loved one and what they're needing And it's helpful to begin that discussion with your loved one and your loved one's medical staff. Their doctor can be a great advisor to begin this conversation with. And this can begin the conversation on how to best support a loved one to help them to remain as independent for as long as possible. So home health care and home care are two ways to help a loved one manage their health while providing them with support in their home environment. The terms health excuse me, the terms home care and home health care sound similar, but they provide different services. Home care is assistance with support, supportive help in the home, such as light housekeeping, assistance with laundry, transportation, assistance with bathing, dressing and grooming, or meal preparation. And notice that I'm saying assistance with, because when we're talking about home care, it may also be referred to as homemaker services or non-clinical services. So sometimes when you're talking to medical staff, they may call these non-clinical services. So it's assisting your loved one who can still do these things, but needs a little bit of extra help along the way. Um, Home health care can help with an individual's medical care, and it's often needed after someone has been hospitalized and and has had rehabilitation or is transitioning back into their home. It may be used when someone's health takes a considerable decline and home health care is needed to help someone remain independent with day-to-day care in their home. Typically, a prescription from a doctor will be required to to obtain these services, these services, excuse me, which are then conducted by a healthcare professional like a registered nurse, licensed practical nurse, or a therapist. So many times a caregiver will be led to this by medical staff. Um, they, these services provide professional medical assistance with tasks such as administering medications, rehabilitation therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, overseeing a patient's health status, uh, pain management, wound care, and, and just to name a few. Um, but it's important to note that, that these fields can overlap sometimes, and oftentimes a home health care company may also provide personal care for an individual if it's part of their care plan. And yet once you're uh, working with medical staff and with home health agencies, you'll be, you'll be talking more about a health care plan because it's a plan to help your loved one to stay independent and at home for as long as possible. 
But the time may come for for the caregiver who, when a loved one can no longer live fully by themselves or herself. And a loved one might need more regular or full-time care than a caregiver can provide at home. So to, to decide what's right for your specific situation, start by identifying what level of care is needed. And of course, caregivers will definitely consult with their loved one's doctor to begin this process from day one with this. In general, assisted living is for people who might need help with daily tasks. Nursing homes are for people who need a higher, more consistent level of care, often round-the-clock care. Both assisted living facilities and nursing homes offer some of the same fundamental services, but which type of care will need to be determined. There again, that will be determined with your doctor. Assisted living is designed to help seniors age in place for longer and provide independence, and it provides a wide variety of services, depending on what your loved one might need. For some, it's a way to downsize into what might be a new home for your for the, your loved one for the long term. For others, it's a way to maintain their independence, even though they need some help with daily care, and it depends what the needs are of the loved one the caregiver is caring for. Assisted living is a residential community helping individuals with daily life and routine self-maintenance when they need. They don't always provide extensive around-the-clock medical care as nursing homes do offer. In assisted living, people typically have their own rooms, and sometimes those are private rooms and sometimes they're shared with others, or some assisted livings do offer small apartments. Individuals can gather in common areas for their dining or for their recreation for activities that are offered at assisted living. Most facilities include room and board, medication management, and housekeeping. They also provide bathing and bathroom help as needed if it's needed by um, their loved one. And they can participate in community activities if, if they want to, it's up to the individual who's living there if they want to participate, and they, and they can provide emergency care when needed. Um, so different facilities offer different levels of service, benefits, and expertise. Um, and so it's really important when you're out looking at these and visiting these places to ask the questions, what services they provide, what their fees are associated with each one of these, whether what services are under one particular umbrella fee or if each one is um, a la carte where you pay for every single service that they're provided. So um, it's it's important to ask these questions. It's important to visit these facilities, whether it's nursing facility, assisted living, long-term care. It's very important to visit them because you will know when you when you go in if you're comfortable with, with the atmosphere, if it feels comfortable to you, you'll have a feeling when you go in there. Um, and sometimes people don't realize that until they've actually done that and visited several different places. And then you start to realize the difference in them and how you feel. And you'll be drawn toward one or the other, depending on what the feeling you get, the prices that they charge, the, the, the fees that they do charge for their services. It will all depend upon all of this together once you, you have visited around. So I encourage caregivers to visit these places and make sure that you're comfortable with them, too, because that's a huge part of this. Um, Assisted living can benefit a loved one by providing a safe place to live when needing help with some daily activities. They provide social socialization for an older adult who may have been isolated at home, and it helps maintain as much independence as possible 
for a loved one. So then we look at nursing homes. Um, they're, uh, nursing homes are long-term residents, residences that focus more heavily on medical assistance for those with chronic illnesses, injuries, or who need round-the-clock care. Many people turn to nursing homes when they need more consistent medical help that than assisted living provides. But it's not always permanent. Some residents are only there for recovery and need intensive therapy, and then they are able to return either to assisted living or return home. Um, and people often use the term nursing home interchangeably with skilled nursing facility or SNF, but they're two different types of service. Both provide 24-7 nursing and a medical care. Skilled nursing home care is for seniors who require, require that higher level of medical attention and provide immense medical services for more acute needs, such as terminal illness or 24-hour care for someone who is uh, suffering from dementia, Alzheimer's. Medicare and Medicaid certified nursing homes require a licensed nurse to be on the premises at least part of every day. But most nursing homes do not have doctors on staff for specialized care. Okay, so let me, you, Mary, you're giving a whole lot of great information, but let me kind of break it, or not break it apart, but, but let's make sure that everybody is following all of this. Okay. So in other words, in other words, there is independent living, and that independent living can be either at their home or in a, like, like in a retirement center, can be, can be completely independent. It's an apartment or a condo or a house, whatever. Within independent living, there can be home care or home health care that comes into the home to, to assist either with the cooking and cleaning and that kind of stuff, which is the home care, or if they need the medical piece, either they need somebody to help them um, taking medications or they need occupational therapy or physical therapy, any of that, then they still, that all still can be done in the home, but that's the difference in the home care versus home health care. The health care right. is going to be the medical piece, right? Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So then if somebody either chooses or needs to be somewhere besides in an independent living situation. They need a little more attention. They need a little more medical um, resources, whatever. Then they can move into assisted living. And that is a facility, typically. Um, it can also be in the home with additional home health care personnel or home care uh, services even, but you're, but that person needs a little more than just being at home independently. So that's your assisted living. Mm -hmm. And then if they need even more than that, then they go to long-term care or skilled nursing, which is the SNF, the SNF, as somebody, some people call it, um, that basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, all would all skilled care nursing facilities, well, no, they wouldn't. I was going to say, would all skilled care nursing facilities be long-term care, but you said not necessarily. Right. That somebody, because, right. If, if they are 
recovering after some, an intense situation happened or whatever, they're in recovery and they do get better, of course, then they can move back or move more to nursing home care or if they even are able to go to assisted living. But there again, that's more independent living and assisted living. And, and so all of this, <clears throat> excuse me, all of this is not linear, that people, depending on their situations, can move in and out of the different, uh, the different categories for the rest of their lives, right? Right, right. Okay. Well, I, it, depends, it depends on the situation. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and let me give you an, uh, just a list. Let's, let's look when we're looking at um, skilled nursing and nursing home. Let me give you a few ideas about what the different types of services would be. Let's say in skilled nursing, um, they would, if someone is in skilled nursing, they are needing a feeding tube, possibly respiratory therapy or ventilator care. They need wound care, um, intravenous medication. In a nursing home setting, they they will need help with bathing, eating, dressing, using the toilet, medication management, transportation, and transportation or transporting throughout the residence, uh, general mobility, sitting up or sitting or laying down. So um, they may need physical or occupational or respiratory therapy. So you can see the difference there that's provided by the two. Right. Um, it's more, much more intense in skilled nursing care. And then, and and if I jump the gun, tell me. But but we also have memory care. That if someone has a dementia issue, they may need to be in memory care. Yeah. Um, we also have CCRCs, um, continuous care retirement centers. That is that continuum. That it that people can come in at a um, at an independent living situation and then move into assisted living and then move into skilled care, long-term care, memory care, that right. all of that is within the same setting. Right. We also have, and again, if I'm jumping the gun, tell me, um, but we also have pace at home that I think would be helpful for people to know about, were you? Are you going to talk about that, Mary, or do you want AJ to talk about that for a moment? Yeah, I believe uh, AJ was going to mention that. Okay. So um, yes, pace can help out, especially if somebody's needing more than what maybe the home care or the home health has been providing. They need that little extra, um, extra support, as we've talked about. So, and, and PACE across the nation is all about keeping um, families together at home while providing all the support, whether it be skilled or what home care would do, or um, it's a combination of pretty much everything that they may need in a nursing home setting or a skilled nursing facility setting, but they don't want to transition. So PACE programs, like I said, across the nation help provide everything that they would need while maintaining that life still in the home versus transitioning to an ALF, assisted living environment, or a skilled nursing environment. And AJ, the PACE programs are like a day program, correct? Well, it does have a day piece to it. That is a part of the model, but it now since in the last couple of years, since uh, the pandemic has come upon us, we've had to all adapt 
and change the model to make it more of a hybrid approach. So it's not all about center focused and coming to the day center for care, but we're going to them in the community as well as making sure they're continued to be um, transport transported, excuse me, and seen by specialists in the community as well. So it's a combination of all types of things, meeting them where they are in the home, as well as coming into the center. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Okie doke. Mary, I I apologize for interrupting. (laughs) I just was like, but but, but I want to make sure that people kind of understand all of this. Absolutely. Um, And you did, you mentioned the memory care. Um, those individuals that are suffering from dementia and the dementia progresses to the point that affects the day-to-day living, at some point um, caregivers begin to need to be thinking about memory care. Um, And when it's determined that the person is safer and will have a higher quality of life, and those are two things to really keep in mind, that they're safer and will have a higher quality of life in a memory care community where staff members are trained in dementia care, it may be time to consider that and to do your research and to find those um, units or facilities in your area that do have memory care. Um, And, you know, memory care units can also provide opportunities for a loved one to engage in things that they enjoy and it, at their level, wherever they are able to participate, depending upon where they are during the progress of dementia. And um, their socialization there, they're with other individuals, and that makes a huge difference. Okay. So um, most of us don't understand the difference between all these levels of care. It is a lot. You, and you did mention that, Francis. It, it is a lot of information. And most of us don't understand this or have never had to look into it until we're at that, at that time um, in, in our lives with our loved one. But it's important to do the research and ask questions. Speak with the, your medical community and to learn as much as possible about these decisions. It's not, it's not a decision that's made lightly, no matter what you do. First of all, for, for your loved one to move to a, a, a different environment than, than their home, but it may be safer for them, as I mentioned before. It may be safer for them to, to move to another environment, and you need to consider that. Um, and there's quite a bit of difference between assisted living and, nurse, and a nursing home. Um, and I will say that if you'd like to learn more about these options, if you will visit the National Institute on Aging website, and the National Consumer Voice website. These have wonderful information on them on helping sort it it all out and help you read through these options that are available when when you're trying to make these decisions. So um, not only speaking with medical staff, visiting um, these facilities in your area, but also doing your research on it online. It makes it uh, about what you need to be looking for when you go in there to, to visit and, and not just the feeling you get, but the questions you need to ask when you go in there. Um, because choosing the best avenue for care is not always easy, um, but it's an important and very important decision. And it's also one that caregivers should not take alone, make alone. They should ask the questions. Um, like I said, talking to, when you visit, talk to residents. Now, I will say with COVID, we know that uh, it has not been as easy to visit these facilities. You have to um, check ahead of time and make sure that it's a safe time to go for you to visit and follow their protocols, of course, with safety. Um, but that's something that you can do um, 
looking ahead to give them a call and see if you can come and visit them and be there with them. Um, ask questions of the residents as you're, as you're there, if there are any residents you can talk to. So they're, um, follow their protocol when you go in, of course, when you visit them, but it's important to visit them. And, and I'm going to echo that because regardless of age or stage, visiting, getting familiar with the facilities, with the options, both for at home, in home, as well as facilities, way before you need them is enormously helpful because all too often mom falls and breaks a hip and and you're given two to three days to make critical decisions. Or dad has a heart attack and all of a sudden he can't come home. And you have two days to figure out what what happens next. And yes, there are social workers and hospitals. And yes, there are people to help. But the bottom line is the more you can know up front, the better prepared you are to make those decisions particularly if you have to make those decisions quickly. So yes, go visit. Yes, do your homework. Uh, do all of, all of that. Right. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, and I want to put a plug in also, Mary, you are, as I keep saying, you are my go-to person in this area um, because you have a wealth of knowledge about all of the resources in a community, but you are part of a national family caregiver support program. How about talking about that just so bottom, bottom line, if you don't know anywhere else to turn, this is where you go. Yes, as you mentioned, the Family Caregiver Support Program is a national program, and it's funded through the Older Americans Act, um, and it supports specifically to support family caregivers caring for an older adult in their home for as long as possible. Um, but I, And I will mention that once um, someone, a caregiver, brings their loved one to long-term care, they're still a caregiver because they're there to check on them. They're, they're with them each, um, as often as they can go to see them. And so they're still their caregiver even when they're in long-term care or assisted living. That doesn't change at all. Um, and so our job is to support these caregivers on this journey. Every state and territory across the United States has been provided that funding has been provided for the Family Caregiver Support Program. And the best way to locate the Family Caregiver Support Program is to contact the Area Agency on Aging, Aging, Area Agency on Aging in your region, and they can direct you to the Family Caregiver Support Program and the specialist in your area. So the nice thing about it is that it is nationwide and it's there to help caregivers um, all along their journey. And by contacting the Caregiver Support Program, every region has a, in, in every state, operates differently. They have that independence to operate um, differently with their funding, depending on what the needs are in their community. So it's important to contact them. If they can't help you with any with a particular service, they can direct you where you can get that help, whether, um, whether it's needing respite services or needing care for your loved one or you're needing help for your loved one in some way. They can help direct you. That's their job is to help with that and help direct you, put you in the right direction to help your loved one. Thank you. Yes. 
So Mary, you've given us a lot of great tips and I will ditto what Francis said. You are my go-to person for things that when I don't have an answer, uh, our team here reaches out to you and refers people to you for some resources. So uh, we appreciate you sharing all the things that you've shared, but I wanted to ask, do you have any final tips to give young adults who are finding themselves in the caregiver role? Yeah, uh, um, and I'm going to say this in reference back to that study I talked to you about earlier in the hour, Um, but I I want to mention to caregivers how important it is, young caregivers, to reach out to others. And one way to do that is to be a part of a caregiver support group. Um, And so I encourage young caregivers, all caregivers, to seek out in their community a support group or uh, in their community or online uh, that they can connect with with other family caregivers. The nice thing about connecting with other family caregivers is you realize you're not alone on this journey. There are other people out there doing this. There are millions, as we know, out there doing that. And so you can share resources with one another. You can talk with others face-to-face, online, um, virtually. You can do it by text, uh, all kinds of ways now to connect with other caregivers across the United States, around the world. And so um, it's important for caregivers to reach out for support um, personally. Um and also check with, uh, I suggest that you check with your employer to discuss options that are available. Like I mentioned earlier, it's very important for caregivers to reach out, working caregivers to reach out to their employer to see what options are out there. They may be able to provide some counseling for them. As I said earlier, check out your area agency on aging to learn about resources available for your loved one and for you in the community. And then, um, I also wanted to mention, too, that there may be adult daycares in your area that may help you, that that may be a place for your loved one to go to during the day. As uh, AJ mentioned, the Pace at Home, uh, in their community, they do have adult care for uh, a loved one during the day in some of the Pace. I know that in different places it's a little different. Services are a little bit different. But check with your Pace at Home in your area to see what services they can provide you. And there are also local daycares. Um, there are also apps that caregivers can use now. Lots of Helping Hands and CareZone are two apps that caregivers can use that help them keep track of some of their caregiving responsibilities. And they also help with, and I like this, assigning tasks for other family members to help you out. I always encourage caregivers to reach out to their fa- other family members if they are. They do have any other family members um, that can help them out. Well, with lots of helping hands and care zone, these are apps that can help you do that. And you can connect your family together on these apps and we and you can help assign them. That's a uh, Francis, I think that's another podcast, I believe, that you, you that we could talk about someday about resources like that that are available Absolutely. to bring caregivers together in their fam- and bring the family together to talk about these what uh, what services they may need. Um, also, one thing that uh, is wonderful, as you mentioned, go to AARP has an online community of caregiver forums, um, and they have a Facebook group specifically for family caregivers to share their stories and get support. And I encourage caregivers. Once again, you don't have to necessarily participate with sharing your story, but the good thing is, is you can connect with other caregivers on these apps or on these websites or on these forums. So be sure to check that out. The National Alliance for Caregiving has a number of resources available on its website. You just Google National Alliance for Caregiving, and it has lots and lots of information. Um, I want to say that reaching out for help 
is not a weakness. It is a strength for a caregiver. Strong caregivers reach out for help, ask the questions, do the research. Those, those simple things that, well, I say simple, but it's a lot of work. But those things where a caregiver takes the time to reach, research, ask questions, um, go to the professionals uh, with their questions for information are the ones that have more success on their journey. It may seem overwhelming at first, but if you can start to break it down, keep those journals, keep, keep your files, keep all the information in one file instead of throwing it around in different places, keep it all in one place. And um, it helps you have a more successful caregiver journey. So that uh, just remember reaching out is a strength. Absolutely. And you talked about reaching out um, to your employer. The HR office would be the best place to do that. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to be sure that people know because that can be kind of threatening, uh, meaning that that people go to their supervisor and, and, you know, that may or may not be the best place to go, but your HR office always um, is is sort of a first, first stop shop. For, exactly. for this. Mary, you have given so much incredible information. I'm not sure that, I, I think this is going to be one of those podcasts that people may need to listen to two or three times to, to <laughs> pull out all of the information because there's so much and, and it's just overwhelming at times. But thank you so much for that. And we will be doing more podcasts um, on the technology, uh, the, the apps and and all of that. And just, just so you know, um, we we are in the process of doing that online community with the ACAP websites also. So, um, so stay tuned for that. But Mary, thank you for all of your information. And AJ, thank you for being with us also, and uh, particularly for, for letting us know more about Pace at Home, because that's such a valuable program in a community. Thank you for all of you who are our listeners. We hope this pro- this podcast has been helpful to you and that you will share it with others you think may benefit from it. Before we end, we certainly want to thank Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina, our sponsor for this podcast and all of our podcasts. We are indeed grateful for their support. This program is part of the Mesh Network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our caregiver community podcasts on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts and our website, www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And I want you to know that on our ACAP website, we have other podcasts. There are several things that surfaced that we have podcasts about, like how do you pay for all of this and, and how do you, how do you do all of this? We have podcasts. We have videos of programs. We, we offer programs every month. Uh, we have all sorts of resources on our on our website. And so we hope that you will go to our website, www.acapcommunity.org, and just poke around, see what is there that might be of use for you. And if there are other topics you'd like for us to address as a podcast, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of our age, our background, education, career, or anything else, when it's our mother, our father, 
our grandparent, our loved one who needs help, caring for and advocating for that person becomes very personal and extremely important. So please care well for your loved ones, but also remember to take care of you. Stay well. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.